Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. We will employ an exciting, fast, explosive, and diverse offense combined with a physical, punishing, relentless, suffocating defense. Purdy rolls right, looking to throw. Benito gives chase, comes back left. Purdy still looking, sets up, balls loose, rolling around in Iowa State territory. Redmond picked it up. Redmond on the run. Redmond scores. All right, guys, welcome to the Oklahoma Breakdown Podcast, brought to you guys by SB Nation's Crimson and Cream Machine. You guys can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, pretty much anywhere you guys can find a podcast. We're quite frankly, I'm your host tonight, Kami Armarabian, and joined by two of the most awesome people in the world, one of them, Chisholm Holland. How are you? I'm doing well, brother. What's good, man? How are we? Man, we're we're it's we're cold. It's it's it is snowing outside right now, and it's it's November, and it's at eleven. It's eleven eleven. So you know, it's eleventh of November. Make a wish, everybody. Uh, you know, somebody may wish for snow today. It's very possible. Are you? Do you guys like the cold? Are you guys? Are you guys cold folks? I'm a big fan of the cold. I love the cold. I don't like it hot because hot, it's just miserable. Cold, you can kind of adjust your lifestyle to uh to meet it what are you i am the complete opposite i'm not built for cold weather i'm not made for this i hate it i'm miserable the entire time i'm cursing and swearing every time i get in my car it's the worst yeah i would i, I was i was telling Ch- chisholm before he hopped on the podcast that they were recording uh that i'm going to philadelphia in a couple weeks and it's like it's already cold here I'm not looking forward to going to Philadelphia at the very end of November and early beginning of December because if I think this is like cold in Oklahoma, I I don't have jackets or coats big enough for the winter in Philly. I don't think so. I I think I need to go buy some stuff. Go to Chicago in January. Yeah, so that'll be fun. Ugh. Yeah. Uh, I have a 90s starter jacket. That's the Philadelphia Eagles. It's like a big puffer coat. I'll let you borrow oh, for the week. Hell yes. Yeah. Everybody had those starter jackets back in the day. I'm going to have a t-shirt with like Donovan McNabb on it. I was a big oh, McNabb. Gosh. Big, big <laughs> McNabb kid. Or we all? McNabb and Deuce Staley. Jeez. Oh, I love Deuce. Brian Dawkins was on that team. Yeah, gosh, they never never won it though. And that, and that, speaking of that, other voice of an angel you're hearing is Stephen Brown, our <laughs> other host tonight. Stephen, how are you doing? I'm good. I'm just practicing uh, healthier habits um, with my diet, as you guys <laughs> saw before the podcast. Trying to get in a gallon of water a month. It's a good goal. It, it's a good goal. It's a steep the, goal. It's steep, the, but I'm. 
slowly the, but surely the bar's got to be set somewhere you know we got to set a bar and if we it's had, like we it, it's like you got to start you know? here so you can end up up here or somewhere in the middle you know but we're gonna keep stacking them every day but speak speaking of brent venables he's got a game saturday against West Virginia and Morgantown, 11 a.m. Central Time on FS1. The Sooners to FS1, they were beginning the season on national TV. And the last time I checked, it was OU 7.5 for West Virginia, but I think I saw some at 8 as well as favorites. Uh, West Virginia is seeking their second conference win. They actually beat Baylor earlier on the season. The Sooners look to become bowl eligible, still that 5-4. and four. West Virginia has issues in the secondary, specifically like several injuries. Um, they've been kind of Jekyll and Hyde as far as their performances. They've been able to put up points like pretty well against other teams and at the same time get smacked by Tech, I think like 42 to 17, somewhere around there. And so they've been kind of like really odd. Uh, and so Chisholm, I'm coming to you first. What are your first thoughts like when Oklahoma – going to Morgantown, coming off that performance against Baylor, which Oklahoma probably should have won that game if they minimized mistakes or minimized a couple of mistakes. Um, what do you, what was your first thoughts about Oklahoma going to Morgantown this week? Yeah, uh, Graham Harold and JT Daniels. Uh, I think that's kind of the default because that was like the big acquisitions for them yep. in the offseason, right? It's like yep. they're going to have this explosive offense. That has not translated. You're, you're rattling off stats, man. Go look at their home and away splits. They're like two different teams. Yep. Like, I'm not even confident that the same guys are getting on the plane. Like, I think they might actually have literally two different teams. Can't score points on the road. They're averaging over 40 points a game at home. Um, so my expectation is, is that JT Daniels and Graham Harold are going to be able to move the football. I think the OU defense hasn't answered a whole bunch of questions. And I, I don't know if... Uh, if they're going to answer a whole bunch uh, tomorrow against West Virginia. So, yeah, JT Daniels, Graham Harold, high-flying passing offense. And their wide receiving core, I would say, is, like, completely underrated because they're in a, you know, on a crappy team. Yep. But, like, those top four guys would play at a lot of schools, not only in the Big 12 but across the country. So, I, th- I think they're really talented. They've just been really inconsistent. Yeah, and that and it's just the oddest thing. Of course, they, they have they – have- one conference win, it's against the team that Oklahoma has lost to. They've blown out. I mean, of course, they blew out Towson or somebody like that earlier this year, 63 yeah. to nothing. Um, but again, like they, they've shown the ability to put up points. Um, but their defense is also not like they're formidable. But again, it just depends on the day. It It's really, really odd for them. Of course, their record doesn't really just dis- display who they really are, I believe. And Steven, what were the first things that came to your mind about this game, especially coming into this week? Yeah, this is looking like one of those classic Oklahoma, West Virginia shootouts in Morgantown again. Um, Obviously you already talked about the Jekyll and Hyde team. Um, I think they'll be able to push the ball. Obviously the receivers are probably one of the better units in the big 12. If you just look at the talent um, that they have available, JT Daniels, maybe not the most talented quarterback in the Big 12. Uh, he can push the ball, but he can also uh, make a lot of mistakes. So I expect them to test the OU secondary. And then uh, I think a lot of people, you know, they look at Sam James or Bryce Ford Wheaton, someone like that. 
Uh, West Virginia has a pretty good ground game as well with a, with a duo or trio of running backs there. So um, it could be quite a test for the Oklahoma defense. Yeah, and especially with this team, I mean, like we talked about in, in the last podcast, we talked about revisiting, you know, we, we were revisiting our preseason expect, expectations. And of course, an injury plus, of course, maybe overestimations of talent, uh, like before the season and recognizing where the current status of the Sooners are and what we see on the field, the product is a failure of complimentary football. Of course, Oklahoma's offense may do something, but the defense like totally just busts or the defense may do something, turn the ball over and the offense can't seem to score. And the, in the offense in general has just been really inefficient. They'll show signs of like being able to move the ball, but not move it consistently or move the ball up the field, like get a few first downs, but then have to punt or shoot themselves in the foot. And so they really just haven't found any consistency whatsoever, especially on offense. And that's typically where they've been really strong for however many of the past years, if we're being honest. And so is this a result of Riley's and all the players and the coaching regime exodus combined with the staff, new philosophy is it game management. Is it yes? Is it nothing? Like what, what, what is all this inconsistency is it about? And Steven, I'm going to come right back to you. Like, is this inconsistency just due to everything of the season due to everything in the past, or are there certain particular things? What do you think about? No, I think you answered with the, the word yes. Um, when I look at this, it's it's a little bit of a cultural um, change for Oklahoma. They're just not quite where they need to be uh, mentally. Obviously, they probably could do a lot better physically. Um, then you look at like Brent Venables, and he's got some question marks here and there uh, as being like a first-year head coach. So I think it's just everybody is kind of transitioning towards a new phase in Oklahoma football. And the product of that is just not that good right now. Everyone's just kind of stuck in this almost like a weird limbo area. Chisholm, what do you think? Uh, I think the answer is really complicated. Uh, and mm-hmm. I think Steven hit the nail on the head where you could just say, like, is it this? And I think I would say yes to just about anything you say. Like, mm-hmm. is it the Kool-Aid man? Is it Santa Claus not granting wishes? Yes, yes, yes. Like, it's it's a lot of things. If I had to like sum it up, though, I think that the offense is a little worse than we anticipated, but I don't know if anybody would say like that is 100% why they're 5-4 and four right now. Mm-hmm. I, think the, I think the injury to Dylan Gabriel for a couple right. of games plays a role, but the bigger thing is the, is the defense. And my two senses is this is a little bit of like unstoppable force and movable object where the roster is not good. And we, we kind of knew that coming into the year. We probably overvalued it for sure, uh, but we knew there was going to be some – Uh, holes roster is not good and the roster can't play the way Brent wants to play I think that is abundantly clear they are going to fail running Brent Venables defense and Brent wants to run Brent Venables defense and Brent is saying I'm not I'm running my defense because this is the defense I'm going to run in 2027 and we're going to be consistent and we're going to make footholds here that are going to pay dividends up the road and we're going to play the same football the entire time I'm here at Oklahoma and I don't know if that's wrong Mm-hmm. But you are beating your head against a wall by forcing guys like Ethan Downs and Reggie Grimes to play in a three-man front when they're struggling or asking guys like Jalen Redmond to primarily be a run defender when he's a better pass rusher. And there's just a lot of things there. That's just like neither side 
I would say holds 100% of the water, but there are a lot of defensive players right now who are underachieving because they don't, they can't do what Brent is asking them to do. And so is that the player's fault because they're limited? Yes. Is that Brent's fault because he's not trying to maximize every snap and do the best defense for these players? I would also say yes. So chicken and egg. Would you say as a result of that, like what you just said, Chisholm, about the defensive players uh, in Brent's scheme, do you think they see this value in staying in Brent's scheme to be a better player or in, in general or in Brent's scheme? Or do you, th- do you think that some may see as a detriment to maybe uh, maximizing, like you said, their, like their skill set, and that might result in yeah. the transfer portal being pretty active like it has been the last couple of years? I mean, everything I've been told is that these guys like love the locker room. Like these guys are having a ton of fun playing with each other. They enjoy each other. So I, I think if anybody leaves to your point, it would be like uh, this direction doesn't make sense for who I am. I was mm-hmm. recruited here to do X and you're asking me not to do Y, mm-hmm. but you're asking me to do D, which is like way far away from where, you know what I mean? Yeah. And so I, I would say like, like Jalen Redmond is a guy I'm really interested in. Uh, because I think he is a talented player. We all know he is a talented player. His biggest X factor has been health over the course of his career. Yep. This year he has been fine, right? But like, it's pretty clear that like he first off he's definitely not a nose tackle, but he's had to play mm-hmm. nose some this year. Uh, and then when he's one of the primary run defenders, that's also eaten into what makes him so good, which is getting after the quarterback. So he's like a guy who identifies like, would he look at different schemes and just say like, hey, this makes sense for me elsewhere? I'm not sure. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think that's going to be something that goes through people's heads. Um, I don't know. I, I think there's a lot of weird things going on right now. Um, and then you talk about like culture stuff. Like I, I'm sure you guys have seen the Danny Sussman quotes from the uh, the podcast and the Prairie stuff. Like, I don't know what to make of that. You know, mm-hmm. like I don't. And I, I people are like really losing their minds about it. And this is one of the few times I'm like, <clears throat> I kind of get it. Like I understand why people are frustrated with those comments. So. I think there's a lot of soul searching that's going to be going on. I think the portal is going to play a major role for people coming in. Mm-hmm. And I think it's going to play a bigger role of people going out than maybe people anticipate. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I agree uh, on, on, on both sides of the ball, for being quite frank. And so leaning into kind of this week a little bit more, and we and you talked about this earlier, Chisholm, and that's why I'm going to come back to you about it. How much of a factor, I mean, this game is, you know, it's at 11 a.m. here. It's 12 p.m. in Morgantown. Uh, It's an FS1. Uh, It's a little bit earlier of a game, obviously. If it was a night game in Morgantown, things would be a little bit more rocky and shaky in that game, knowing that they could probably win that game with how inconsistent OU is. How much of a factor do you think Morgantown and that environment in that uh, stadium is actually going to play a factor into this game. Because like you said, that this team, this Mountaineer team is very Jekyll and Hyde. They're very different in their splits between their stats and how they perform in home games and yeah. away games. Um, it, if you had to put any sort of, you know, I guess, weight on any on, on the factor of Morgantown and their crowd environment affecting Dylan Gabriel or the defense, sure. what would you say? Yeah, I think it's a... It's a fun guessing game because West Virginia has not been good. They have under, they played some close games and lost. So their record's not great. I think Neil Brown's days are getting counted, right? Like I, my wife is getting ready to hang a calendar on the wall that counts the days down till Christmas. Like people have been counting down the days until Neil <laughs> Brown gets fired in West Virginia for a while. Mm-hmm. So like, I like there's that element to it. 
there's also like the it's first off it's likely going to be raining tomorrow how much does the weather play a role and then oklahoma being down I, i think i refuse to discount that that like other teams in this conference who have gotten their teeth kicked in by oklahoma on the national stage for three or four years in a row when that fan base suddenly feels like, hey, we might beat Oklahoma tomorrow just because they're not very good. Mm-hmm. Do, do people show up for that? I don't know. I don't know. My my guess is that stadium is not going to be crammed full, but it's going to have a lot of venom in it uh, for their own team and for Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. And so I think it'll make for an interesting environment. But, you know, West Virginia is a crazy place. Like that is a, that is an awesome stadium when it's rocking. And it wouldn't shock me if they have like a little bit of a rallying cry here of like, let's go show the Sooners what real football is like kind of a thing. Steven, what about you? Yeah, I agree with that. I would also add that when you look at, you know, kind of where West Virginia is, the fan base is going to need something to get excited about early in the game or mm-hmm. they're just going to get out of it. So I think early in the game being in West Virginia, I think they'll want to take their their pop shots pretty early, um, try to get the crowd into it, try to get the crowd to stay because, as you guys noted, um, doesn't look like the weather's going to be too nice. I think it's probably going to be pretty rainy, and it looks like the highs are in the – 40s at this point so um i think west virginia to keep this into a shootout and make this a game they will need you know a lot of success in the first quarter do you trust in more of west virginia's offensive line in the run game or do you trust in more of ou's offensive line in the run game that's a tricky question because recently I, the offensive line for Oklahoma has not, hasn't been great all year, but it feels like every game they're kind of making these slight improvements. Um, obviously, mm-hmm. Eric Gray's running the ball a lot better than they did early in the season. So, yeah, my, my preseason chemistry. prediction of him getting a thousand yards looks pretty good. Yeah, mine uh, of him getting benched is uh, not looking too good. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, I think the offensive line for Oklahoma they have found something to not really hang their hat on, but they, they have a drive to get better every game. And like, you know, you look at the defensive side of the ball, it just keeps getting worse. I think Oklahoma's offensive line has played a little bit better. And Chisholm, do you agree or what do you think? Offensive line has definitely gotten better. Uh, if I was going to say like the thing I was the most wrong about in the preseason is the offensive line. Uh, I think they played well. Um, not amazing. Not, uh, you know, mm-hmm. four or five years ago, but like that was trending in the wrong direction. Like, it got worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. And last year, it was abominable. Uh, like, this year, I think they're pretty good. I mean, fourth or fifth best in the conference. And, like, that is some major improvement based off where they were. Um, I think it's going to get better, too. I think they got some young guys who uh, have a chance to to kind of pile in there. Bad news is that Anton Harrison, a guy who might have been there for four years, is definitely gone. Like, everybody enjoyed these last three games of Anton Harrison because he's not playing in a bowl game, and right. he's not playing next year. Right. Uh, that guy's going to the NFL. Uh, so yeah, I think the offensive line's playing well. Eric Gray's been amazing. Uh, I I I, ch- uh, I always say I try to choose like very specific words so people know what I mean when I'm saying. And amazing is a word I try not to throw around. Eric Gray's been amazing this year. He's been their best offensive player. I think Marvin Mims is the most talented guy. He's the guy with the most NFL upside or all that. But like, who's the guy who week to week Sooner fans can just count on to like keep them in games? Mm-hmm. Eric Gray has been that. Like. Eric Gray was great against Texas when nobody was great against Texas. Uh, so uh, I think that's their offensive identity going forward. Uh, the problem is, is that everyone is obviously going to know that. Uh, and so we'll see how, you know, teams continue to adjust 
I don't think West Virginia is going to be a team that can really take that away. I don't think Oklahoma State is really a team that could take that away as bad as their defense has been lately. Mm-hmm. But going to the last game of the year, Texas Tech, I believe the Red Raiders, if they decide they're like, hey, you know what? You're not running the football today. I don't know if Oklahoma will be able to. Their, their defensive line has played really well as of late. So it'll just be an interesting storyline. But Eric Gray has been, I mean, the, the offensive MVP this year, and it's not close. Yeah, I, I feel like that's really fair to say. I mean, especially like, especially Dylan Gabriel's absence, but also how you've been able to rely on Eric Gray, not just in the run game, but also in the pass game and so many different facets of it. Led the team and, in re- rushing and receiving last week. My goodness. And yeah. he's just, he's just everywhere. And it just makes you wonder, it, it make it drives you insane a couple of times when, you know, they're going fourth down in the Wildcat sets and they, you see Marcus major on the field instead of Eric Gray, who's been getting you, those first downs and reading uh, what happens with the offensive line. So it goes with the, the kind of game management stuff we said earlier, but it's just, it's a little bit unnerving when that does happen. But speaking about advantages, disadvantages, uh, Chisholm, I'm going to come back to you. What advantages do you feel like that Oklahoma may have over the Mountaineers going into this Saturday? Uh, yeah, I think that I think they're gonna be able to run the ball. Uh, I think Eric Gray is gonna be an, a nice little piece for them in that one. Uh, and outside of that, I think it's all gonna come down to like what version of Dylan Gabriel we get. Uh, early on in the year, couldn't pay him to gamble, didn't have turnovers, mm-hmm. very safe. Uh, and then obviously the Baylor game, I, I, I'm surprised, but it feels like there's a lot of people on different sides of this. Of like. Was those three interceptions Dylan Gabriel's fault? Was it circumstance? I'll let everybody else decide. But all of a sudden, turnovers have started accumulating for Oklahoma. It's like they're trying to make up for lost time. So I think that's the big factor um, as far as where they can create advantage because West Virginia secondary is dealing with injury. Uh, their pass rush outside of stills has not been great. And by the way, I don't know how many stills brothers there are. I think there's seven. <laughs> like how many more years of eligibility? Nine. Sti- yeah, how many stills brother el- eligibility years do we have left? <laughs> Jesus Christ, West Virginia. Uh, and so outside of stills, they don't have a great pass rush. Um, and so if, if Dylan Gabriel can play a good game, like he could throw for 400 yards and five touchdowns tomorrow. He could. It's, it's just if he can hit open receivers, if he does not lead to the turnovers and the fumbles and the interceptions that have shown up a couple for, you know, these past couple of games, mm-hmm. he can have a monster day, mm-hmm. a monster day. Do I think that's going to happen? No, because Dylan Gabriel's like status quo this year has been inconsistency. Even if it's not interceptions, it's missed open throws. Uh, but they're going to be there. Marvin Mims is going to be open. Joel Farouk is going to be open. Braden Wills is going to be open. If he can seize those chances, like I said, man, this could be a, a huge box score day for Dylan Gabriel. And so on the flip side of that, Stephen, what do you feel like are the advantages that West Virginia has over Oklahoma? Yeah, their defensive line, um, obviously their best unit on their on the on that side of the ball. Their secondary, not so good. So um, if they can kind of limit the run early on or throughout the game, it makes Oklahoma very one-dimensional, puts a lot of pressure on Dylan Gabriel's shoulders to either make those passes or, you know, he's a capable runner, so he's got to make something with his legs. So I think if there's any advantage, at least defensively for West Virginia, it's going to be the pass rush. Um because that could make Oklahoma kind of shift their game plan a little bit. Yeah, and, and that that's the main thing that's been like plaguing the Sooners this year, especially with Dylan Gabriel, Gabriel earlier this season. I mean, 
gosh, the man didn't know how to throw the ball away. Now he's actually throwing the ball away and saving the Sooners second and 15s and second and 16s and still having that extra, you know, that, that same yardage. So get on him for that, but he's going to have to dodge some. And I imagine that Levy might have some QB draws in the game up the middle that he hasn't ran in a couple of weeks. So I'm curious to see that. And I mean, what do you guys, so Chisholm, I'm going to come to you for this one. This game, it's 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 interesting. It's intriguing. Uh, West Virginia is by no means not a talented team. I mean, I think they can beat several teams in the Big 12, not all the teams in the Big 12. Yeah, beat uh, Baylor. Especially, yeah, they beat Baylor. They, I mean, and they've kept it close with a lot of teams, especially in Morgantown. How do you see this game playing out in your eyes before the game? And what do you think a score might be? Yeah, so I the weather thing has thrown a giant wrinkle at me, and I don't know how to handle it. I don't handle adversity well. You can ask my wife. If ch- plans change, I don't I don't respond. Uh, but my gut, like on Monday, I, I thought it was going to be a shootout. I thought this thing could be, you know, 45-38, 48-41, mm-hmm. like name a score. Like this, I thought this thing was – because I, I, just to be frank, I have zero faith in the OU defense. And, and on top of that, West Virginia is one of the more aggressive teams in the conference. They go forward on fourth down just as much – and I think this year more than Baylor and like that's Baylor's MO mm-hmm. uh, like they've been incredibly aggressive at Graham Harrell. It's almost like Neil Brown's coaching for his job. Uh, and so with that being the the thought process, like they're going to go for on, on Oklahoma on fourth down a bunch. This team, when they give up fourth downs this year, I don't know if you guys have seen this stat. Ryan Chapman pulled this from uh, sport or sports illustrated on nine drives this year. Oklahoma has given up a fourth down conversion on six of those. The opponent has scored a touchdown within five plays. Yeah, they give up a fourth down and then they get scored on in, in they, they're not scored a touch. Sorry, score a touchdown within five plays. They give up a fourth down and then they just break. It's like they're let just all the air out of the balloon. Yeah, like they, <laughs> they just don't respond. They just don't. And so, like, I'm sorry, going up against a team that has a very high flying offense, a talented quarterback who's been again, there's a reason he's at West Virginia right now, but a talented quarterback, a good play caller and some great receivers. My expectation is that Oklahoma was going to have their back broken a bunch on defense, and it was just going to be points. Rain makes that more difficult to assume that we're going to get up into the 40s. Maybe it's lower. But I think, like, so picking a score for me is very hard, but I think Mm. my sentiment is the same. I I think the defense of this game is going to be largely inept on both sides, and I think it's going to be who doesn't create – who does not uh, give up turnovers, who doesn't throw interceptions, who doesn't put the ball on the turf for any reason. Uh, And then, you know – who uh, who gets the ball last? I, th- I think this is going to be an offensive grudge match. This is going to be like you know West Virginia Oklahoma four or five years ago, yep. just like the Walmart Aldi's version, uh, which is fine. <laughs> uh, it'll be fun to watch, but I think it'll be kind of depressing. <laughs> to follow that up, Stephen, <laughs> tell us how you think this game is going to play out. I lo- I love the Walmart Aldi's version. The version. Ah, gosh, I've not been in an Aldi's in a long time. <laughs> I've uh, never you, been. You've in had an too Aldi. much money for too long. It looks like it's like straight out of the '80s, though. It it it, it does. It, oh, it don't you have to like? Isn't it where you like a take a coin out of the cart before you like like go into the sort of here Thor? Someday I'm gonna go into an Aldi and just kind of live that moment up. But uh, as for the game tomorrow, um, we'll see where it goes. I think the rain's gonna play a large factor. Um, you look at kind of the strength and weaknesses of both teams are almost exactly the same um both are a little bit more turnover prone both defensive are, are 
pretty suspect at this point in the season. Uh, rushing games look pretty solid, and you have playmakers on the outside of the offense. So um, it's going to be strength or strength kind of offensively. Um, we'll see whose offensive line kind of plays a little bit better early on, and, and if they can kind of lean on West Virginia late, will that crowd and that team kind of give up at this point in the season and vice versa for OU because – the writing's on the wall that this hasn't gone as planned. It might even get even worse. So um, it's going to be a very big cultural game for both teams. And I think Oklahoma, um, you look at Brent Venables, he kind of understands that he's a little bit more frustrated than you kind of seen him in previous weeks. So we'll see if that translates to a more focused, more active team um, coming out of the gate. So I'll give Oklahoma the edge, but just slightly, I'll say they win 35 to 31 and that's the interesting thing about it is that they both have like these some these similar weaknesses and i mean like west virginia's offensive line they're not bad they're not they're not they're not great they're kind of like ou they're kind of like hit or miss uh offensively they have a lot of guys that could score really well but again have been inconsistent again again with scoring i mean like I think Iowa State dropped thirty something points on them just the other day, but and held them to seventeen points. And of course, uh, it's it's just so so interesting of how West Virginia and how Jekyll and Hyde they have been. And with soon the Sooners, they've been pretty okay at. I mean, they've been pretty okay at their away games. I mean, t- it, with these large crowds, we saw them. Against Nebraska, of course, that was when everybody thought Oklahoma might be actually okay and good this season. Uh, it's easy to look like, the, like that uh, when you play Nebraska. Uh, but when, they, when they've been punched in the mouth away, they typically have been, been able to respond, I feel like, on the road, more so than at home, which is, is interesting. Um, and I expect to see, like what you guys said, ugly football. Um, I'm not really counting on rain i mean like the next thing you know it it could be just clear day sunlight yeah uh but re- regardless i expect the close the score to be somewhat close within a score maybe two um i would give oklahoma o- oklahoma would have to have marvin mims and i think i think Jill- jaleel farouk have decent days for them to be winners and i think marvin mims is due for kind of a payday uh this coming this coming Saturday. And so I think I, I feel pretty confident in their game plan as how they have Drake, Drake Stoops situated, Eric Gray and what he brings to the table. I like what Marvin Mims capability is. And I think he does bounce back from some frustration frustrations. He's he's had the last few games. And so um, I, I give the edge maybe to OU 38 to 35, but I think everybody here said, you know, pretty much within one score, not too sure really of the outcome. I hate kind of like putting in a number on it, other than it'll be a good game, right? Yeah, I pick Oklahoma to win. Good is relative. I, I said that. Yeah, good is relative. Good is good relative. is relative. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's fair. That's 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 fair. And we'll we'll in the SEC when they talked about having games be lower tier opponents playing more lower tier opponents and higher tier opponents playing more higher tier opponents. You're still seeing more, I guess, equitable football to where you see two garbage teams play where it'll be a somewhat decent looking game because both teams are bad or both teams are average or good. So that's probably what you're going to get tomorrow. And it could be (laughs) something pretty interesting. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, So on the other side of things, recruiting, 
Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to cars.com. It's magical. This episode is sponsored by State Farm. Buying insurance can be complicated, and you might have a lot of questions, like what if my policy doesn't cover that? Or what if I need to make a claim in the middle of the night? Good news. State Farm is there for all your what ifs. You can reach them 24-7, talk through any questions with your agent, and you can even file a claim on the State Farm mobile app. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Call or go to statefarm.com to get a quote today. There's stuff going on. I mean, even like recruiting players to stay on the team. Uh, you got maybe a USC flip to Oklahoma, which would be like the weirdest situation happening because there would be a guy actually coming back from the Los Angeles. But but that's odd, you know, whatever. Oh, you still going after David Hicks. Uh, Brent Venables kind of made some comments on some recruiting strategies about not just finding the best players, but the most hard nosed lunch pail, you know, stereotypical blue collar guys uh, that fit a role. And, and the, and people didn't, not all people found that very pleasing to hear. Uh, so Steven, tell us about recruiting. Tell us <laughs> any good news you may have. Uh, also, there's not that much great news, obviously, but what's, what's going on? The state of recruiting at the moment, as far as it goes for Oklahoma, is just kind to you, kind of to keep your core together. You want to keep what you have in place, and maybe you can add a piece. You know, you can take a, a lottery ticket on someone late in the game, and maybe you hit, maybe you don't. But uh, right now, the focus would be to keep that core intact. You look at like uh, Jackson Arnold, which I don't think a lot of people are on the message board saying, you know, Notre Dame and you know, yada yada yada. But I really haven't heard anything like that as far as Jackson Arnold looking around. I think he's pretty solid to Oklahoma. Um, Dalen Smothers, another guy that um, probably hasn't been talked about, but offensively, I don't think you have anything to worry about there. Defensively, I think Lewis Carter maybe has came up uh, taking a visit maybe to Auburn. Is Auburn or Missouri State? Mm. No, Missouri State, Mississippi State. If it's Missouri State, you're looking pretty bad, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's all about just keeping those together. And then, like you said, um, with David Peavy, the USC linebacker commit or hybrid linebacker, defensive end, whatever you want to call it. Um, there's some smoke there. We'll see what Oklahoma does. So I'm sure they'll get him on a visit at some point um, and try to get him on campus and see if they can maybe go with a flip there. Um, you look at like a guy like Taylor uh, Taylor Wayne out of Tennessee is the, the hot name this week is a guy that shows a lot of talent on film. Uh, still, I think he's roughly – a three-star mid-range three-star at this point. So he could be a flyer and could, you know, you might be able to hit big with that. So, um, but overall you look at keeping your core intact and then maybe adding some, some pieces here and there to, to finish out your class. If you had to really look at guys and say, I don't know if they finish within this, with this class, if you had to choose maybe one or two guys, if if at all, what one or one or two guys would you point to that you wouldn't be completely sure that you finished with this class? 
Oh, Anthony Evans is easily the the number one choice there. And we've kind of been talking about it for, it feels like almost a month now um, with him kind of having that late flip from Oklahoma to Georgia or uh, from Georgia to Oklahoma the, Oklahoma. the night before his uh, decision. And that just hasn't gone away. And he was in Georgia, saw the game uh, against Tennessee. Obviously when a recruit sees a game like that, you get a little bit worried, uh, especially where you're at in Oklahoma was part of the season. So um, I don't expect him to sign with Oklahoma at the end of the, the early signing. And so talking about Brent's comments about needing those hard-nosed role-player guys, and that really did upset people for some reason because I think those guys are really pivotal for some teams. I think those guys are really, really, really pivotal for, heck, even Super Bowl teams. Um, but some people took offense to it, like you, that they should be recruiting only, like you know, only the blue chippers, only those guys that are well, highly rated. And and St- Stephen, like, come back to you, like, what? Do, how, how do you even like get upset at that? I don't I don't understand the <laughs> mindset of like trying to find role players within a football team where like every sport, every major sport has role players and like is it just not a natural thought to not have natural role players i don't understand i get why people are upset but at the same time you have to look in the mirror and see where oklahoma's at um they're not doing well on the field their first year head coach they should have had something on film instead of you know you bring a kid in you don't watch them film you're probably gonna look at the clemson film at this point of what Brent Venables did and say, hey, we, this is what we kind of want with you. Um, they don't really have anything to go off of as far as Oklahoma is concerned. So you're really the only ways you land a blue chip is you're really good at football or you're really good at NIL. And right now Oklahoma is not really great at either of those. So it's it's one of those things where they're going to have to gamble on some pieces, find some guys that they really like and just take a chance on. Yeah, he mentioned about finding those diamonds in the rough and Chisholm. What are your What are your thoughts? Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I first, so first off, Brent is great at like his own personal messaging, and like it's it's almost like a different language. Like we kind of got to speak Brent Venables. Here, here's what I took from those comments, and and so I think right now, and I'll use Teddy Lehman as an example, um, who's on with Todd uh, and Eddie earlier this week, and he was talking about whenever he was a freshman he learned from Rocky Calmus mm-hmm. and he said, when I started, when I started my first game, I knew everything that Rocky knew. And then everything I learned over the next few years as a starter, I talked to the person below me and that, so, you know, and it was one of those building things. I don't mean to be rude, but if he's like Jared Canick, who's a guy who everyone loves here in the state of Oklahoma and everyone is convinced he is the next Teddy Lehman. Do you want him watching David Aguebu? Mm. Be honest with yourself. Probably not. And so, like, when he's saying, like, we need to bring in role players, I, I think what he's trying to say is, like, we we want guys who are, like, we need to be okay with guys who are less talented, have less stars and all that stuff, but are going to do exactly what we ask them to do. Yeah. So like that the, way the talented it's, it's, kids. It's the Baylor. It's literally the right. Baylor formula with, uh, with Aranda. Sure. And so that way when we bring in talented freshmen – four or five-star kids who are athletic freaks who run four whatevers, they're learning to do it the right way first. And then we build on top of that. 
Because like right now, like the the class they have in right now, and for that they signed in twenty twenty two is a is a fine defensive class, and there's some guys in there that we like. I don't know how many of those guys are like, hey, go spend two hours with this this guy who's on campus right now. He's crushing it. Mm. I, I don't know how much fostering <laughs> no, yeah. of leadership is going on because the play I mean, just frankly sucks. Like you don't want these kids learning anything from these guys. Like positive out. Like Deshaun White's had a great year. Mm-hmm. Deshaun White has had a great year. I don't think Deshaun White is by any means the standard of what Brent Venables wants for that position. That guy is supposed to be someone who might be the best defensive player in the country. That's what that position is for, right? Like Billy Bowman is a guy who we all like. And I would say Billy Bowman is like the one guy that I'm like, he probably needs to be a starter next year, but he's played what? Six games this year, five games this year, you know, like it's hard. And so like when Brent was saying that, all I could think about was, was Teddy talking about Rocky. And how right now, if you're a young player on this team, if you're a true freshman or going to be a true freshman, anything that you're learning to what Steven said, it's not from anybody on campus. Brent's going to be having you watch guys from Clemson. Yeah. And like, that's not, that's not an effective way to learn how you need to be playing this style of defense. So I think lowering the bar, but understanding that we're going to go get guys who do it the right way is probably something that is just going to happen for a couple of years. And the defense will be better. Like that, like if this team got less talented but did the right, did exactly what Brent was asking more often, this defense would be better. Like this team is talented right now and underperforming. And like, I, I don't, that doesn't interest me a whole lot if I was a fan. I like, I don't care about that. And that was, that was one of the main things we talked about when we, when we all got on the podcast and talked preseason. We talked a ton of defensive learning curve and, how steep it would be or how not steep at all it would be <laughs> over over the course of a year because like you said like you guys said Oklahoma has talent on the defensive side of the ball uh but uh, it's it's the defense and to to Chisholm's point I, I think that's a good point to to bring up it's well man like you got all these young guys in but everybody's learning the same system at the same time and it's not, you know, conducive to some guys even play style, as you mentioned earlier. And and that it's certainly a challenge. And I mean, I mean, Matt Rule did it at Baylor. Uh, you know, Aranda's doing the same exact thing. And to see just guys thrive in certain roles. And I mean, I think I think it's good a good point to build from that ground up. But I wonder about, you know, like learning from a guy like Danny Stutzman, right? And other guys like who would you who would you deem as leaders on the team that would be players that you would maybe want to learn from? I suppose, <laughs> you know, Billy Bowman might be the is he the only one? one. He, he, he is he the is he the only one or like Woody Washington? Deshaun White, but I think isn't his eligibility up at this point? Yeah, yeah. Deshaun this White, so. he's Jeremiah he's Johnson, Justin Broyles are the three guys that are like one hundred percent gone on this defense, and I think yeah. I think Broyles. Letting everybody get done gagging. I think Broyles will be the other answer because Brent has said time and time again that like Broyles is doing exactly what we ask him to do. Is he like, is he great? No, but he is like doing what we ask him to do. He's like, like your Justin major Broyles. practice guy that right and, in the right play positions right. and makes the right reads the most. So if you're going to hand time. an 18 year old to an upperclassman and be like, Hey, learn the defense from this guy. Justin Broyles will be one of those guys. Promise he's not going to be there in the fall. Do you so. feel like, that might be a part of the reason why Oklahoma is seeing so many other young players playing lately, especially Robert Spears Jennings. Uh, I do. I, I think there's a lot. I think, I think right now they need to figure out what they have. Um, I think that this defensive roster is pretty rough. Uh, I think the portal is going to be major for them this year yeah. and they just need to figure out like 
the Jared Canics, the Robert Spears, all those guys. How many of those guys do we need to bake in snaps for? Because outside of that, like we are just going to go get anyone who we think can play Division One football, and we don't want to eat into the guys that we already have on this campus. So I, I think young guys are going to play down the stretch because they want to do a little bit of an evaluation. But like Kobe McKenzie, Kip Lewis, two guys who we haven't seen at all hardly mm-hmm. this year. You mm-hmm. know, like those guys are the people who I would consider too. Now there's rumors those guys could be dealing with injuries, so I don't know, but. I think we see all the all the true freshmen at some point between now and the end of the year. And Chisler just mentioned it. And so, Stephen, nine games into the season, Oklahoma is not bowl eligible. They have five wins. It's obvious that Oklahoma has glaring deficiencies uh, that they're going to need to address in the transfer portal, uh, like Chisholm just said. If you had to rank the top three positions of need for this team going into next season, what would you say? Because they they need like sustain they need dudes in several places. Well, well it'd be defensive tackle, defensive tackle, and defensive tackle because you just don't have the bodies there. You just you just don't. Even Jalen yeah. Redmond's just not a defensive tackle. You don't have that three hundred pound dude in the middle of this defense that they need at this point to kind of solidify things. So um there's a lot of talk out there that the portal is going to be super active this season. Um, a lot of teams, you know, you look at NIL, maybe something doesn't go someone's way. They're going to jump in the portal and just see what's out there. So um, there's going to be some opportunities for Oklahoma to, I don't know if you say reload, but they can find some guys to kind of plug and play while they continue to build up this culture and continue to find the bodies that they need to, to develop, you know, three, four years down the road. So, um, to me, defensive tackle is the number one priority and probably the number two priority as well. Um, behind that, maybe you would go with a wide receiver, but it would have to be someone you just have to have because Mims is most likely leaving. Farouk kind of looks like the guy, um, but behind that, it's kind of, you know, take your chance on somebody. Cash stuff. Probably backup quarterback. That'd be helpful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Somebody, somebody has a challenge Dylan Gabriel or or push him or something. You or know? not run the Wildcat? Yeah, no, not with not with Braden Willis. I think the craziest stat right now for Oklahoma football is that uh, our boy Davis Bevel played an entire football game at wide receiver and has zero targets. It's impressive. He played an entire six, game six. at wide receiver, zero targets. Just throw it up there. At least once. He's six six. You're right. Come on, that's now. true. He can box out somebody. And, and, and Chisholm, you alluded to this earlier about Oklahoma really needing to go to the transfer portal. And like it, it's been no mystery to anybody that's following Oklahoma recruiting or this this team, what they lost this past season, that they would need to go to the transfer portal with Jeff Johnson out, Jalen Redmond, always felt like a guy that's going to go to the draft. I'd be very, very, very surprised if he stayed at Oklahoma. Um, what, what would be the top three positions of need that you would rank in order? Yeah, so first off, I would – like to go on the record that I think they're going to use the transfer portal very heavily, but publicly they have not said that publicly. They have said like, we are a, we retain our guys. We develop the people we have in the building, get better. We grow from within freshmen, replace seniors like th- that. That is, the, that is what they've said. And they are on the record saying like, we're not going to be the live or die by the transfer portal team. Right. Here's why they should go to the portal because none of the guys are going to develop are worth it right now outside of maybe the true <laughs> freshman class. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, positions of need. I, I think that Steven's absolutely right. The defensive tackle is a major concern because yep. the way Brent wants to play, they have to have bigger bodies. You yep. have to, 
Like they are getting eaten alive right now because they are asking these guys to play like they're 350 pounds and they're 240. Like it's just not working. Uh, I would say the second most position, second most important position is defensive end. I had really high hopes for Ethan Downs coming into the year. That was foolish. Uh, not like a shot at Ethan. Whenever he signed with Oklahoma, coming out of Weatherford, we knew he was going to be a project. He wasn't Division One ready. He's a true sophomore playing a majority of the snaps as the lead defensive end. Like, he's struggling. And, like, that's okay. Because, again, when he signed Oklahoma, we were hoping that maybe his senior and his, in his you know, redshirt senior year, he could be a big-time contributor. Well, he's playing way earlier than we thought. Oklahoma can't set an edge. Haven't set an edge for three weeks. Have, Reggie Grimes is not considered setting an edge. Has no interest. And, like, it's a big problem. Jonah Lalulu is a great pass rusher, not great in run defense. They need edge rushers. Brent Venable's scheme is we stop the run with the four guys up front or the three guys up front, and our linebackers create chaos. Right now, their defensive line is living in chaos, and their linebackers are lost. So I would say the defensive ends are a big one. They're the linebacking core. Everybody knows I'm not a giant David Aguebu guy. The Danny Stutzman stuff like feels so on the nose that I'm like, that, you, you seem like that guy publicly, and then you said you were out loud, and that's not great. Uh, so maybe he gets his head screwed on straight, but I would look at the linebacker stuff as well. The corners I don't hate. Uh, I think they're I don't think they're stellar, uh, but I don't hate the corners in the secondary. Uh, but I mean, just truthfully, I think they need to walk into the portal and say, we have 10 starting spots. Who wants them? Right. Let, let's talk. Let's make a deal. Mm-hmm. Right. Like let's figure out who's available. Uh, because I do think the the bigger time players are going to want to know that they're going to come in and start. And if, like, David Aguebu stays on campus and you're a big-time linebacker from another team, are you going to assume David Aguebu has that job because he's the returning starter? Probably. And I think Oklahoma needs to be very upfront of, like, that's not our standard, right? Yeah. Reggie Grimes is not our standard. David Aguebu is not our standard. We want guys who are better than that. We are looking for starting players in this defense. I saw Billy Bowman is the only one that I eh, – maybe Billy and Woody. And I, Woody, I'm a little wishy-washy on. But Billy and Woody are like the two guys that say, like, they're our starting players. Everything else is up for grabs. Like, let, let's talk about it. I mean, I, it's just kind of where I think they are. I, I just don't think they're very good. Yeah, I, I feel a lot way too. And, and and Steven, you mentioned the receivers. I I, I wholeheartedly agree with with that. I, I think they're going to be in the portal for a receiver or maybe a couple of receivers, especially if you have, might have one or two transfer out. I mean, they, they desperately need them, uh, especially with the, the kind of offense they run. You need great receivers that start, and you you need good depth because they are constantly running go routes and gassing themselves so late in games. I mean, no wonder some might be a little bit, you know, legless, if you will. And so to your point, I mentioned this true or false. And Stephen, I'm coming to you first with this true or false. And I've got another one. Marvin Mims is on the roster after the season. And you said you already kind of you showed your card and yeah. you said that you think he's gone. Uh, so even if it's not to the NFL, I think his career in Oklahoma has just been so up and down. And there's been just so much chaos since he arrived on campus that he might want a fresh look somewhere else and kind of get prepared for the NFL at a you know a better opportunity. Chisholm, do you think that's true or false? Marvin Mims? Yeah. Marvin Mims is my favorite story right now on the Oklahoma football team. If you allow me, let me give you a ninety second. Like what the what? I almost swore. What the heck is going on? You can you you could say you can say that for it if you want. 
I'll just say the F word, what the F word is going on. Okay. Uh, Ontario Drummond is the leading receiver from Ole Miss in 2021, right? Like in the offseason, that was the guy that's like, hey, let's look at his stats, Marvin Mims, right? Okay. So I fully admit that the second half against TCU does not count because they weren't playing a quarterback. And against right. Texas, they weren't playing a quarterback. Mm-hmm. So it's like hard to like be like, well, per game, right? Because Marvin Mims played those games, but he didn't really play in those games. Um, so context is everything. Drummond had 76 receptions in 1,100 yards and eight touchdowns last season. Right now, Marvin Mims has 38 catches, yep. 650 yards. And I think one game and, he was targeted like 17 times. Right, yes, he was, which is against Kansas. He is two thirds of the way, three three quarters of the way through the season. And obviously, Davis played the entire year. And all, Davis is, or Drummond's, sorry, Drummond's stats are almost double. And so, like, if there was like one thing that we we looked at. Um, Jeff Levy's offense at Old Miss and Jeff Levy's offense in Oklahoma, and like you just like lined up the stats side by side, and you said like what doesn't match? The two through four receiver are kind of the same, like they're on pace to be the same. The running game is very heavily weighted towards Eric Gray when Old Miss was a little bit more of a committee thing, mm-hmm. but like the rushing attempts per snap are pretty close. The number one receiver is like substantially worse, like the statistically. Like Drummond was amazing. Again, almost 1,100 yards. Marvin Mims is, I mean, he's going to get somewhere around 850-ish, 900 yards, right? Like he's going to come up a couple hundred yards short and probably 20, 25 catches short uh, from where Davis or from Drummond was. I find that interesting. Why is that? You know, like I, I'm I'm accounting for the Texas and the and Texas game in half against TCU. Where's everything else? Why Why is that the way it's worked out? Because that was the one thing that's supposed to get fixed with Marvin Mims is mm-hmm. like, all the non-targets are going to go away. He's going to yeah. get fed in this offense. And even last week, they're playing a football game where Marvin Mims hits, what, it was a 65-yard touchdown in the first half. Mm-hmm. Do you remember any more deep shots after that? I do not. Nope. I do or not. Maybe, I, maybe one or maybe one. Yeah. I, I know he overthrew him again in the first yeah. half. Yeah. But, like, I just – I don't know. Like, And I'm not saying it's Marvin Mims' fault. I'm not saying it's Dylan Gabriel's fault. I'm just saying, like, that's like a uh, – an interesting wrinkle is that always Jeff Levy's number one receiver puts up enormous stats and Marvin Mims is going to have a good year, but he is not going to be one of the leaders in college football statistically. And that's generally what Levy produces at his number one receiver spot. Uh, but I think Mims is going to go to the league I, uh, coming into the year. He was great as a first round talent. He was in a lot of first round mock drafts. NFL guys talked about him. I don't think he's going to go in the first round. I think he's going to be somewhere in that third round and that's going to be okay. Uh, I, I think he's going to jump to the NFL. If he doesn't, I, I, I wouldn't be shocked if he sticks around. Uh, maybe he goes to the portal. Uh, but I think he's an NFL guy. I, I feel pretty comfortable on that. Yeah, I, I, th- I think we all agree that we don't we, we don't think he's going to be in an Oklahoma uniform next year. And this same guy, this next guy, I think we all might be in agreement on as well as uh, maybe Jalen Redmond, right? Would you guys say he's an NFL guy in the next year or in the NFL? No, I think he'll he'll be swayed to come back. He just doesn't really? have the film. Yeah. No, yeah, I, I don't think there's enough film out there. And I think they're gonna talk to you, you know, whatever scouts and you're gonna say, Hey, maybe you should just play another year and see if he got something. I mean, unless, you know, randomly kids will just be like, you know what, I'm just ready to go pro. And like he's like willing to know that he's not gonna get drafted high. Mm-hmm. like he wants to like do like the lunch pail thing mm-hmm. through the NFL, then maybe, maybe he goes pro, but if like, he's following like sound advice. I mean, they're going to tell him not to go. I would tell him not to go. 
uh, to the NFL. I, I don't think that tape's going to be there. This year was supposed to be his big breakout season, and I, yeah, I think if anything that 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 hatch has been battened down. It gives me like Stacy McGee vibe. Wasn't it Stacy McGee that like <laughs> didn't do much at all? Uh, well, I mean, not to say that Redmond didn't do anything at all at OU. I mean, like he was thought to be like the bell cow on the defensive line before the season happened. Um, and, but Stacey McGee didn't really do much and then ended up, wasn't he the one that ended up in Oakland and actually played substantial that amount of snaps? He was, wasn't he one of the guys from Muskogee? That's beyond me. I have no or, idea. I can't, I can't remember. I can't, I'm or, not or, maybe it, it's, it's somebody from the Oakland Raiders who knows. Uh, but it, it just reminds me that of, we all thought, or several people thought he was going to be Oklahoma. Stacy McGee played for the Oakland Raiders. Shout out to you. Look at you. Okay. Look, okay. Yeah. All 2013 right, so. to 2016, the uh, Washington commanders in 2017, the Panthers in 19 and the Cardinals in 2020. Oh, so he's had more than a cup of coffee in the NFL. So he did. He did. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's just so odd about how this year, how he's performed by the same time. Like you guys said, he's been in the inside. He's a guy that you would prefer to be more on the outside. I feel like, um, I mean, it's just, it's just so odd. I mean, I felt like he would be a dude that would jump to the NFL just because of everything he's experienced in college, or maybe I don't, I, I don't foresee him going to the NFL way before I would see him going to the transfer portal. But at the same time, how much does he trust coach Chavis? How much does he tr- trust coach Venables? How much does he trust those guys to get him to that next level? Because, Everybody said before the season, oh, he looks great. He looks fantastic. The best he's ever looked. And at the same time, he's hampered by where he's playing at in the middle. I mean, every time I see Jalen Redmond at nose tackle, I'm like wondering what the heck is going on in the defensive line room besides just a lack of bodies, which we all kind of maybe thought might be an issue this year uh, uh, in particular. So the Sooners are five and four. They play at West Virginia tomorrow, Saturday. They play Bedlam at home on senior day and they go to Texas tech. Steven coming to you first. What's their final record? Within those three games. Yes. After those three games are over on that slate. All those games are a coin flip to me. Um, They're very winnable games at the same time. We've seen Oklahoma not show the ability to finish out a game at all. So, um, I think they'll win this week, and it's a 50-50. I'll, I'll just be the homer and say they'll win in Stillwater. Uh, but the game against Texas Tech, they it's going to look a little bit rough. So I'll say they'll go 2-1 and one in that that little slate. Chisholm, what about you? Yeah, my uh, the Spencer-Sanders thing is the, the big X factor there. Spencer-Sanders yep. play, I take Oklahoma State by a mile. Spencer-Sanders doesn't play, I take Oklahoma by a mile. Um, and that sucks because we don't know. Um, so I'll, I'll, I'll actually say the exact same thing. The game being in Norman for Oklahoma helps with Bedlam as well. Um, so win at Morgantown tomorrow, win against Stillwater in a couple weeks because no Spencer Sanders. And then I, I, like I said, I think Texas Tech is a tough matchup for them. I think that's just like a bad pairing. Uh, so I'd say they lose in Lubbock. And so I, I feel like Oklahoma finishes, like you guys said, both seven and five. I think they go two and one. I think they, I, I, I think Oklahoma sh- has shown the ability and has improved, obviously, on the offensive line. The, the running game, Eric Gray's been splendid, spectacular this year. 
uh, than the past game and the run game and uh, he making guys miss, getting in and out of cuts. He's been making uh, just really good plays just in general. Um, and OSU hasn't really shown that many signs of life in stopping the run game as of late. And like you said, Spencer Sanders, uh, I mean, he's a mystery as far as his health, but there are a lot of rumors, but of course that's all they are until we know for sure as far as him being out for the rest of the season or maybe being a guy that might be ready for Bedlam. Who knows? Um, this is, I already said I'm taking West Virginia earlier, but at the same time, I also said they, it's a kind of a coin flip. And these last three games, these last four weeks, I mean, including the, the game that Oklahoma just lost against Baylor, uh, I think everybody felt like could have been a, a dogfight. Uh, Oklahoma would be in a dogfight in every game and that they would have to win it pretty close and they would have to really win it in not necessarily the cleanest fashion. They would have to maybe muck it up a little bit. And so uh, I see I see any of these games going down to the wire, um, but I'll, I'll go seven and five. They probably win in Morgantown uh, more so than Lubbock. Lubbock's always a rowdy atmosphere regardless of where, what time it is and what they do and how their fans are and stuff like that. Lubbock's just a different place and their fans are a different fan base. Um, I think Bedlam, like you said, Chisholm being in Norman, uh, especially with the Spencer Sanders stuff and not really knowing too much, but some people alluding to him being out for the season or at least a regular season. Well, at least the season. Um, it's not too sure, but I would say seven and five airing on the side of that caution that he might be out for Bedlam. And so bringing me to my final point, kind of going into Oklahoma before they have their last senior day next week. I, uh, I was thinking about this the other day, Oklahoma, since Bob Stoops came to Norman, um, for that, for that 99 season, they he takes John Blake's guys. Uh, they go seven and five, right? And of course, Brent wanted to compare that to this year the other day, and a lot of people were. Not I would happy not compare about myself to a national championship. Yeah, team very often. yeah. I no. try to keep that to a minimum. <laughs> that I was, I was like, why are you saying that out loud? <laughs> like you can, you can like think that, but please don't say that out loud. Um, but this notion that I mean, like Oklahoma fans have realistically been spoiled for like two decades straight for 20 something years in a row of winning the conference over half of the time they have more conference championships than anybody uh, combined and it, do you guys feel the like Oklahoma fans maybe needed a reality check or a, a, a come to humbleness if you will do you think that's ever um, necessary yes and no um, obviously Oklahoma fans have been a little bit rowdy, a little bit spoiled as of late with two Heisman winners, a lot of success under Lincoln Riley. Um, but at the same time, they never really got over the hump as far as like you go with the playoff game and national championship, they've been absent for a long time. So, um, mm -hmm. you want to act like a big dog, talk like a big dog and you don't have that, uh, that national championship or that playoff win. Uh, you you might need some humbling there, but at the same time, Oklahoma is a blue blue blood program, a lot of history, a lot of you know terrific players that come through the program. So there is always going to be something to brag about. Chisholm, what about you? Uh, no, I don't. I don't think. I think it's got to be the college football. Is it's not the NFL? It's not meant for parity. Like if you're great, you could be great forever if you just keep on a cranking at it. Mm -hmm. uh, so I don't think it's needed. I, I will say that. There was a whenever Oklahoma announced they're going to the SEC, 
there was a whole bunch of like that pretty football you're playing in the Big 12 ain't going to work in the SEC, right? From like people outside of Oklahoma and the people mm-hmm. inside of Oklahoma were like, no, 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 well, they're going to be fine. I don't know about you guys, but I'm like, no, no, no. The, the first people were right. <laughs> like, yep. if, like Oklahoma is nowhere near ready. Go to watch play. Georgia. Yeah, to play, go watch Georgia play. <laughs> go watch Tennessee play. Tennessee's just doing an offensive thing right now, right? But like, they are so clearly far and away anything that Oklahoma's putting out there on the field. That's like, yeah, like the SEC is going to eat them alive in a few years if they don't make some changes. Um, so I would say like, that's like probably the wake up call that I would say like Oklahoma fans needed is like, Yes, we've been winning a ton of conference games, but we've been built to win the Big 12. And like the SEC is going to be a different challenge. And and maybe the way that we have been building this team isn't going to work in the SEC. I mean, so like that would be kind of my takeaway is that Oklahoma has a road to go uphill. If this team was playing there now, guys, I don't, you know, God knows. Oh, yeah. No. And that's the thing, right? Is like I, 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 I went over to my dad's house the other night. Just like, you know, be, because like most immigrant parents, they want to lecture you for a few hours just about life in general, <laughs> uh, regardless of what age you are in, <laughs> in life. And he was like, what's going on with the Oklahoma Sooners? He was like, man, I hope they don't join the SEC next year. They're going to get smashed. And I was like, I mean, bro, at this point, you're not wrong. And they right. would they would look horrifying in the SEC uh for next year and it makes me think like what what year coming up in the next do you think oklahoma gets off the mat sooner than expected do you think oklahoma is able to circle like 2024 2025 is the year in which brent's guys will officially like made it in the system etc as far as being a functional team instead of this dysfunctional defense that they're still learning while they're still practicing while you had this Danny Stussman comments and all is everything else going on. And you're not having to rely on random guys that never played before on offense and on defense. Is there a certain year that you circle for if you're an Oklahoma fan? As far as the whole thing coming together. Just being, just being relevant in the conversation or just like talking about co- even conference championships, especially when you move to the SEC um, either next year or the year after or year after that. It's, it's soon in the future. Probably 2025. Um, this program has a lot to do between this, you know, from, from now to 2025 when they transition or maybe even 2024. Um, just as far as, you know, getting players, developing players, um, you know, figuring out your staff. And then you look at, you know, the ancillary pieces, the, uh, the training facility they play, they have planned for the, uh, I believe it's the East side of the stadium. That all has to come together because you're going to need a place to, you know, we talk about NIL and, and NFL and all that stuff. You still need the, the pieces to develop these players. So um, the training facility would be a big part of it. Um, you know, getting players, developing players, uh, I would even say the fan base needs to grow. They just need to become a little bit better of a college atmosphere. So the roadmap to relevancy, I think, is probably 2025. I'll even be a little bit more pes- pessimistic as like 2026. Chisholm, what about you? They need to make the, the – for the transition needs to be as late as possible. I, I don't think they need to rush this. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like they need to like Brent – work for a little while 
um, and get a handful of classes through and maybe compete at a lower level conference where the stakes aren't quite as high, where they can still be doing some developing, developing and win, right? Like that would be okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, yeah, I think 2025 is the latest they can go. I think so. I think that would be the year that I would circle as far as competing in the sec. It, it, that, that, that gets a lot more tricky. Uh, I think 2020, like, 26 at the earliest but if you had like if jackson arnold is everything that every oklahoma fan in norman with a youtube account thinks he is then 2026 <laughs> right but if we acknowledge what uh, what college quarterback evaluation is which is incredibly tough and very finicky and we're wrong way more than we're right mm-hmm. then it's when is the next time that they have a championship caliber quarterback right because it, it, it's either you have to have the roster that carries the qb or the qb that carries the roster and that first one i think oklahoma's a little bit ways away from so then it's the, when do you have a championship QB? And so if that's Jackson Arnold sooner than we think, if it's not Jackson Arnold, whoever the next guy is. I think it's a great point. And, and, and I, 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 I agree. I think it's about 2025, 2026. Uh, I would, I would say more 2025 and hope that Oklahoma stays. I mean, I think I've been on the record by saying that I think Oklahoma should stay in the big 12 longer for Brent too have this team ready to go to the SEC. And like, yes, you are talking to recruits and actually saying, hey, yes, we're going to the SEC. Okay, we're going to the SEC. We're going to play SEC football, and you'll get a taste of that. You'll get a taste of the new Big 12. You might get a taste of the new Big 12 championship if you come over here and play, et cetera, yada, yada. Um, but, yeah, I think I think that Oklahoma, it's going to take a minute for them to really build those guys up, especially on defense, get that defense fully installed. And, get the right guys on offense in the system and just get the talent in the, in the guys that need that, that, that are needed to run those systems. Like you said earlier, Chisholm, like you don't even necessarily need the most talented guy, but you need a guy that will be that reliable person that can make those plays for you in Oklahoma to that extent needs those guys as well. Not just the talented guys, especially for expecting a guy like Marvin Mims to, uh, possibly leave in the portal or maybe just go pro. Uh, I, I, I think it's something interesting, but that's all I've got, guys. Do you guys have anything else for the podcast? It's good to be finally verified on Twitter. Did you pay the eight bucks? That. I did. He did. He did. Yeah. I saw it. I was brave enough to do it. Huh? I was I was brave enough to pay the $8, there you go. get a check did- mark. But why I really did it was I don't want to see an ad every three tweets. That drives yeah, me it, it's pretty bad. It's pretty bad. I mean, like, are you gonna enjoy the check mark while like Twitter is still a I'm thing? I'm gonna brag about it. Well, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm just trying to figure out who I want to change my name to before I pay for the check mark. Right? Do I want? Do I want to be Steven? Do I want to be Jack Shields? Who do I want to be? Yeah, Jack. Saying, gonna... Jack went to Canada and, while the geese were flying south. So I don't know what he's doing. Science don't make sense. Is he still not back know? in the country? I don't even know. Sure. He, may, he may have fled. By the way, uh, so you guys have something to do when we sign off here. USC's up two to nothing with a minute left in the second quarter, and Colorado's in the red zone. Dude, so I don't they, know what the hell's going on in that game, but I'm suddenly interested. Teams in the Pac-12 have caught on to Lincoln Lincoln <laughs> to Riley's def- that, that that defense is horrendous, and also, uh, God, yeah, it, it's like. It, I think USC was favored by like three or four scores last week, and Cal just yeah, dropped forty something on him. Thirty-one and a half. They dropped forty-one on him. Yeah, they dropped one by seven. 
and they have they still have to play teams like UCLA and Utah. Are you kidding me? Uh, yeah, they play so. Utah, but they play UCLA and Notre Dame, so they close out their year. Woof! Oh my yeah. goodness! And, and Notre Dame's looking pretty good lately. So. Well, I'm glad that they're now playing on a you know they're playing Friday night. They're the only game on, so now the college football playoff committee will know they don't play defense. You know they have watched them all year, I'm sure. So at least now they'll see it with their yeah, own. Yeah, right, right. No joke. Yeah. yeah. But Did you see the anyways, uh, the Wiley yo. article from the LA Times today? <laughs> Wait! Whoa! 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 Tell it's me amazing. what happened. What happened? The PR uh, machine man running up there at the Trojans. Basically, the LA Times tweeted out some article about how Benny Wiley is cultivating a strong, hard-nosed culture within the USC program. Yeah, he's teaching toughness. Oh, no. T- toughness. Well, I mean, like, that, that's what toughness looks like in the Pac-12. That's why yeah. if you're serious, think, you don't go play football in the is, Pac-12. I think it's he, Benny Wiley is teaching toughness and physicality through his own football stories and workouts. And I was like, football yeah. stories? What does that mean? Gosh. What does that Dude, mean? Football yet. stories. Again, th- this is what toughness looks like in the Pac-12. Kettlebells. And kettlebells. Yoga. Kettle- kettlebells, yoga, all of it. And they do those again, weird jumps, and then you jump, and then you start running. <laughs> it's, it's, just, it's, just, it's just a testament that if you're serious about your football career, you don't go west to play football where everybody is asleep by the time you are playing their, your football game. It's just, it's just science, you know. I'm just, and I, I just, I just point to the facts. But thank you, everybody, for listening to this podcast. Thank you, guys, that have continued to, to support us, subscribe, and everything. We appreciate you guys. Uh, thanks you for all the kind words. Uh, follow us on Crimson and Cream Machine.com. You guys can follow us on Twitter at CC Machine. Uh, you can follow me at Cameron Robbie and CCM. You can follow Chisholm uh, at Chisholm, Chisholm Holland. I said Chisholm Holland for a second. That was fun. That was a little bit spicy. Um, at Chisholm Holland, That's you can follow Steven. Colorado kicked a field goal. What losers? Three oh, to two. God. I mean, I'm, man, why can't USC play defense? You know, three, three, two. They're already losing to Colorado, nonetheless. It was one and eight for the record, by the way. Yeesh. Woo. But follow Steven Brown. Oh, you update SP. And guys, the Discord link will be in the bio. Hope the game is an interesting one. Hope the game actually is an interesting one. Hope the game is actually Oklahoma overwhelmingly, of course, every time because I get to be a homer when I can. But we'll check you guys till next time.